Welcome to the Core Podcast, brought to you by Core to Cloud. We talk about all things cybersecurity, about the latest technologies, the insights, the learnings, and also a little bit about our culture in this ever-evolving environment. I'm Kelly, and I head up the marketing department. And I'm Phil from the technical team, and we're going to take you through all our technology in a really interesting way. Phil talks technical, why I keep it lighthearted and remove all the jargon. We also have a selection of guest speakers, including a few people popping in from the Quarter Cloud team. So let's dive in. Um, I'm very excited to kick off this round of podcasts with Beck. Um, we are focusing on mental health, um, more importantly, uh, mental health within cybersecurity. Um, as I feel, it's a really important topic and something that's coming up more and more with our customers and the people we work with, and even our own team. So, Beck, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, would you like to introduce yourself? And um, you've got a fantastic career background so I think everyone would love to hear all about that. Oh thank you for inviting me it's great to be here. Um, my name's Beth McEwen and I'm a chartered psychologist and um, I'm director of a company called Mind Science that specialises in behavioural science research and consultancy. Background wise I've spent 20 years um, working as a psychologist in academia, I've worked for government and I've worked in industry, all in high risk industries so mainly defence and cyber security but I did start out in working in aviation and rail as well. So all of the work I've done has been based in industries where consequences are really quite high stakes. Um, and I think that's taught me an awful lot about how people behave in very different circumstances and also about how the brain works and how that impacts on the way that we react to the circumstances that we find ourselves in. And the very mechanics of the way the brain works can actually get in the way of how we respond effectively. So it's about putting all of that knowledge into a very applied situation. So, you know, how does a brain so work against you when you're trying to do something quickly? <laughs> okay, okay. so many questions. I'm like, oh, because, um, all right. First of all, let's wind all the way back. How did you get into this field? Because it's not something... Oh, completely. Yeah, like, how did you get into that? Completely by accident. Okay. Um, and I think you'll find that in certainly defence and cyber security where psychology is concerned, most of the people that I've worked with over the years have all found, found our way there by accident. Okay. It's just one of those the sort of things where you end up, you know, one thing leads to another. Mm. Um, I think really, where did it all start? Um, I was working in the pharmaceutical industry doing quality control, actually. Okay. And got made redundant decided to turn my bachelor's degree into a master's degree with my redundancy pay so that's how it all started that's a good shout yeah and it's just really yeah a natural interest in people and why they behave the way they do um so I went to Cranfield University in 2003 to do a master's in applied psychology and yeah I just sort of got hooked on everything that I saw there as working um, I did a lot of work in aircraft cabin safety, so how people behave okay. when they're in an aircraft cabin that's on fire, how they get out quickly, how you meet regulatory requirements for an aircraft to be safe enough mm. to fly passengers, all sorts of things. Um, and then from there, I started working on a Ministry of Defence contract, so that took me off in a different direction again. 
and then I moved into cybersecurity and defence, and then I moved out into industry to work in cybersecurity. So it's been a bit of a a, a, long, a progression long road. <laughs> yeah, I loved how you said about the psychology of why people do things. So I think that's why I got into marketing. In a in a other yeah, way around, I I was fascinated that an advert or the way someone could do something or say something or the fact that a brand looks better on a product would make or the positioning of where the product is on a shelf or a smell yeah. could impact how you buy so yeah that's weird I got into marketing for very similar reasons of a fascination of yeah I think I'm just fascinated by humans and that's why I like doing the podcast because you get to to talk to humans lots of different people (laughs) yeah exactly okay so anyone listening I can see the kind of common I can understand how you ended up in cyber security going through that path could you talk to anyone about how working in what the areas that you did how it naturally progressed into cyber security because I think a lot of people would be like oh well um, you know, on a plane, that's very dangerous. And I can see you worrying about that crashing. Or if you're in the military, I can completely understand why, um, you know, there would be scenarios that you'd want to know how you're going to react. How has it naturally gone into cybersecurity? And, and what, are, what are you seeing the correlations or, or, or are there correlations and patterns? Yeah, I think for me, it's always been a case of actually, the context isn't the thing, the thing is the human being. Okay. Because our brains evolved over years and years and years. Mm. We are all people. Our brains work in the same way. We're just in a different context. Um, and a lot of people always said to me, well, how can you work in cybersecurity or within Ministry of Defence or in aviation when you don't know anything about flying? I don't know anything about war and I don't know anything about technology of cyber because I don't work with those things. I work with the people. Yeah. So if you understand yourself and how your brain works and how you react, because the brain really is a limited capacity information processor. So that means it's up to all sorts of things that you don't know anything about. Mm -hmm. So when you pay attention, I'll talk about this in a little while, because I think it's kind of relevant also for the conversation that we're having about why mental health is um, one of those things that can cause some difficulties at work. And I think it's just... Hang on a second, just scrolling through my notes here because it's um, why there was the conversation that we were going to talk about is it a failing of the individual or the industry? Yeah. It constantly reminds of the problems and challenges we face. Yeah. And thinking about that, it's kind of not a failing and it's not an individual, it's not an industry thing. Okay. The way I see it is that it's human nature to focus on things that are wrong rather than things that are right um, and that is because of this the brain being a limited capacity information processor we have things called cognitive biases yep and the word bias generally has a bit of a negative connotation to it but what it really means it's a shortcut that the brain makes to just make sure that you can take in the information you need to and quickly. it selects things out and quickly yeah so, for example, we're chatting away here. You're focusing on what you see. So am I. We're focusing on a conversation. You won't necessarily have thought about maybe, I don't know, the pressure of the, the chair on the backs of your legs. Because until I brought it to your attention, you weren't thinking about oh, no. that. You've got other things to pay attention to. <laughs> I'm going to so consider whether my back hurts now. I'm like, oh, am I actually yeah, comfortable yeah. here? <laughs> yeah. You know when you're, um, I don't know, maybe if you're in a meeting and it's not that interesting and your stomach's rumbling, and you stop listening to the meeting, you start thinking about where lunch is. 
Oh, I mean, so, that happens know. on a reg with me. Like, what, where is where is lunch and what's happening? No, I I, yeah. I can completely emphasize. So I've um tried to get into meditation. It's still a it's still something I'm practicing, but the I have to do it with um guided meditation. I cannot do it on my own because every time I try, something will pop in my little brain that's about work or the kids or something that happens, and the next thing I know, I've just sat there with my eyes closed, just thinking about something and not actually meditating so I have to do guided um but yeah your brain just yeah it just it does wander off and and I've done some business coaching things you know like when you're processing something in a meeting that may um trigger you or um upset you he's taught me things where if you look at items in a room like a chair or a pen or a it makes your brain not think about the emotion you can you can switch it off um so there's yeah I can definitely um growing a business and being part of this I've definitely learned new things from different people um and the podcast has opened that up to me to do things but um yeah I I I can totally relate to that yeah yeah what is I mean that's what we call attentional bias Okay. And it kind of involves it's a it's a highly tuned survival mechanism. So think back to caveman days, you know, yes. when the saber toothed tiger is chasing you, mm-hmm. and you need to run to the safety of your cave. You were attuned to look out for danger because if you didn't, you weren't going to survive. So that's kind of how the brain works. Well, obviously, we don't live in caves, and there aren't too many saber toothed tigers where I'm based in the Midlands, for a fact. No, we haven't got um, any in at the castle either that I've seen. <laughs> <laughs> But it's it's that sort of noticing. The thing that we talked about there was, you know, how you see food, you think about food when you're hungry. If you buy a new car, for example, all of a sudden you'll see the same make and model, the same colour car, you'll see it everywhere. Yes. And it feels like you're surrounded by them, but actually you're not. You're just more aware of them because of attention bias. Okay. So I think, personal opinion, think about people who have maybe anxiety disorder or you know, not even anxiety disorder but are feeling anxious or depressed or stressed and burnt out everything seems more threatening because you're queued up to focus on the danger and I use that word danger quite loosely not. yeah um you know so because you're focusing on things that could be a threat to your well-being you tend to ignore or not notice the sort of things that might calm your fears so somebody might you know, yeah. say to you, well, you know, you might go and do some meditation or some exercise and actually you either dismiss it out of hand or you don't really engage with it because your your attention really is over there with your fears, not over on this side with the things that could calm you down. That's so interesting. Um, I mean, um, after, when I had my daughter, um, I definitely went into that. I went into never going out, staying in the house, controlling the routine, um, you know, yeah, I just couldn't leave the house. Um, but actually, I got worse and worse and worse. Um, and then I, my friends then encouraged me to just go on a walk with the pram. Um, because I couldn't even get her in the car to go anywhere else. Like, I couldn't because I was like, oh, it'd mess up her routine. Or what if she needs something? And I just couldn't do it. Um, and it wasn't a very happy place for me. Um, and then my second son, I was the polar opposite. As soon as I felt me myself getting into the rut... It was straight into the pram, walking, headphones in, move, move, move. And within like five minutes, it had passed. But I got yeah. what I got worse. I did. I just got more and more insular. Then I didn't want to see people. Then people would, you know, invite me out for, and they're like, oh, leave him with Dan. And I'd be like, oh, I can't go out. And I would, oh, yeah, I was terrible. And weirdly, it was my yeah. husband in the end said, you're going back to work. Because I decided I wasn't and that I was going to be a stay at home mom and that was me and that was going to be 
everything I ever needed. Um, and he was like, you need to go back to work because you're you're losing yourself and this isn't you. Um, so it's interesting, isn't it? Things that, yeah, you do the polar opposite yeah. of what you need. Exercise is a fine one. I always know I need it or I'll make excuses like I've got so many emails to do. Like I should probably get that done, which then makes me more stressed and then I can't sleep. Whereas if I'd just gone to the gym for 45 minutes or an hour or half an hour, right, I probably would have come back, done some emails and not been so wired. Yeah. But you can't just do that thing. And I think what you, the thing that you, the, the story you've just told there is massively important because I think what it is, is that being very aware of how you're feeling mm. and understanding that actually this is what's happening at the moment. It might not last, but I, I have to accept the fact that, yeah, I'm feeling really lousy for whatever reason. Hang on a minute. That's a signal. That's a cue for me to realise that I'm actually spiralling whether it be depression, anxiety, burnout, whatever, stress. Once you know that, you, you can't always stop it straight away. But after a little while, you can go through a, a thought phase. I have um, anxiety. So I have a list of things that I had from a, um, a counsellor that tells me all the different symptoms of anxiety. So when I'm sort of feeling overwhelmed by things, mm. I work my way down the list and I think, ah, could be that. And then that in itself just calms me down because I'm thinking, right, OK, now you're recognising your symptoms. So now I don't necessarily have to go on the mad spiral of trying to do 16 things at once because my to do list is so big. Yeah. And so many people want a piece of me because yeah. that's how it feels sometimes yeah. when you're really busy. Everyone wants a piece of me. Yeah. So actually, how do I then manage that? And it's by recognising that I'm in that particular place. So what I need to do right now is I need to walk away and do a circuit of the garden so it doesn't wise. have to be five you know nothing more than five minutes and then coming back and thinking right okay what three things am I going to focus on today and literally just do those things and it's finding those techniques there's one called the Pomodoro technique um because I have got a butterfly mind it'd be all over the place um and what you do is you set a kitchen timer okay for 20 minutes and you put the timer down and you stay focused on one task for 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. And then you allow yourself a 10 minute break and then you can do it again. And I used to find that helpful for really difficult tasks. I used to hate like writing white papers and things because it's quite yeah. mentally intensive. Yeah. Um, so there's that sort of thing. Excel spreadsheets thing, are me. I'm, I'm yeah, gone. I want to look for like anything that, yeah. creative that I can <laughs> escape to. Yeah. But when you've got like an FD wanting some Excel spreadsheet complete, I'm a nightmare because it's the worst thing I don't want to do. I always avoid the things I don't want to yeah. do. So I get it. Okay, yeah. so you set the so timer. that technique is great for that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Two things that came out of that conversation. The piece of me bit, oh, I get. I do get that. Especially, I, I find this is a new phase for me, but working all day and then you arrive at home and then your family and your children want a piece of you your parents yeah. your best friends this is also sounds so negative but I love all these people then want a piece of you I I do find I hit a wall like that everyone's just taken so much that I can't even I don't even know where to move so that's one one topic of maybe you could give some advice on that but the awareness the awareness that you're aspiring like I didn't know that I didn't know that at university I didn't know that at school I I mean I've never actually officially got it diagnosed but I'm um I do believe that I suffer with anxiety um because a lot of the things that we've talked about on podcasts have come up but it's that awareness piece 
I would go so insular and close up and get angry with people and go probably into that fight or flight mode and I would just attack and and, and pull everything down around me because that was the easiest thing to do that I didn't realise. So the awareness, and that really came from me I think I read a book and then I started listening to podcasts and um, then I loved, fell in love with Happy Place with Fern Cotton. And I yeah. was like, oh, okay, that's me and I do that. And oh, maybe it's not just me. <laughs> um, so how is that if someone's listening? Um, because I feel that, and this might be totally wrong, but awareness is a hard piece. I sometimes feel women are better at finding the awareness piece but I might be wrong with your research or do you think it's a personality type Um, but the awareness piece is quite the important bit because to realize that you're on a spiral to then solve it some people aren't even aware they're on a spiral do you think that's fair yeah um yeah I think it is fair I don't know if I go as far to say it's sort of gender differences or even personality mindset there are a million and one different psychological explanations for it right um, for me, it became very much a thing when I was working um, with military people and it was we were looking at how you learn from cultural experiences. So, um, you know, what happens before it all kicks off? They call it left of bang. OK. So, for example, if you're in a situation and we talked about fight or flight, yes. you said that that's called amygdala hijack and okay. um, tiny part of the brain called the amygdala that sets off all of your adrenaline flowing. And when that is up, common sense and reason goes out of the window because you were just in fight or flight mode. It's actually okay. fight, flight or freeze. So if you find yourself being able to, I just don't know what to do. I can't do anything. That's a similar sort of reaction. Okay. Um, so it's, it's a case of it's a natural instinct. How on earth do you override it? And the answer is, well, you kind of don't. But after the event, you can look back and think, OK, left of bang. What were the cues? What was happening just before that feeling started to happen and everything all went out of the window and I sort of lost control of whatever it was I was doing in whatever reason? So once you identify what it was, your cue from environmental cues, psychologists would call it. So what was it in that? So was there something that made you particularly angry? Was it something that made you particularly happy? For example, it's not all about the negative side of things. Um, But actually, once you realise what that trigger was, well, the trigger for me might be exactly as you say, overwhelmed. Everybody wants a piece of me. This client wants this sort of thing. My accountant wants something else. I know I've got this advertising thing to do, but I haven't finished building the product yet. And then my mum wants to talk to me about holiday in six weeks' time. It's just nowhere near yes, my radar. So me. And, 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 <laughs> you know. So actually, we're thinking all, all in October half term. <laughs> That's, yeah, that, that is yeah, a classic. Just, I'm like, October half term. Like, what are we talking about? Yeah. I'm, we're not even in May yet. <laughs> oh, the best you know prices. Yeah, is. it's always, oh, we've got the best prices for flights. I'm like, okay. Like, I don't I don't know. Sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so if my, my sort of reaction to that is that I've trained my family that if they want to do something in October, they come up with a suggestion, present me with a list of yeah, pros and cons. And I will yeah. choose from them. Perfect. But don't, don't expect me to join no. in the conversation. And then it feels like that they're doing all the work and then I contribute in different ways. So I'll end up doing all the cooking and the washing up and the menu planning. But I can do that near the time. Yeah, when, when you're there and your brain's there. Yes. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. <laughs> so for me, it's, it's about understanding that when I'm feeling overwhelmed and I think also when you're overwhelmed and confused, you, you just like I say with the amygdala hijack thing and the adrenaline's flowing, you just can't think properly. No. So you've got to just take a step back. Um, another thing that I find that always 
has amused me um, is that when you've got something really difficult to work on and you can't quite get it, the best thing you can do is walk away and go do something completely different. Because what your brain is doing, it's still sort of processing in the background. Um, incubating is the word, which always makes me think of chicken sitting on eggs. But it's not <laughs> I like that. Though. So, yeah, <laughs> so you're incubating on an idea. So even if you're not directly working on it, there's a problem that you've got to solve or you can't work out quite how to present some de- um, some analytical information. Go off, go and do the hoovering go for a walk, even go and do a different task, but just stop thinking about that thing because you're overwhelmed by it. And what you'll find is it's with a bit of distance, you'll go back to it and it'll be quite obvious, quite clear. And that even works with things like, you know, when you lose your keys in the house and you're desperate to get out of the door and you're in a mad hurry and you just can't find them. The best thing to do is to just stop looking because then all of a sudden your brain will just calm down and you'll find them. It happened to me, Winston, do you know where I found my keys? in my hand oh yeah that always my dad used my to do that as a kid so yeah obsessed. yeah walking around the room i'll be like you've you know? got them in your hand that's interesting because things always come to me in the shower always yeah. always yeah. come to me in the shower and i'm like oh that's a good idea and also um at just as i'm falling asleep which used to be a nightmare yeah. um but my business coach said take a notepad so now I take a notepad yeah. and I write everything down. So at least I can be like, oh, I captured that. Because otherwise I would sit yeah. there and be like, oh, that's a good idea. Then I'd go down a tangent. Then I'd go on my phone and start Googling stuff. So I, to get out of that, yeah, always. But I um, I guess for me, I, I'm in marketing, so I can walk away in the sense that um, generally it's digital or I might have a deadline, but walking away could be okay. Pivoting back to cybersecurity, there's things that happen that are time sensitive, that are happening right in front of you, and you may not have that opportunity to walk away. Yeah. So, what has been your learnings in cybersecurity, and why are we seeing the? Well, I guess the pressure cooker, and it is. I feel like it is a pressure cooker. Why? Why yeah. is that? Why is that happening? And yeah, your experience on that. At the moment, I think really because cybersecurity, I mean, it's a high pressure work environment, and I've spent a lot of time working with people who do work in high pressure work environments. Mm-hmm. For me, cybersecurity is particularly challenging. Um, the researcher would call it a VUCA environment, and that's an acronym, acronym V U C A, so volatile, uncertain, complex, and then it's also adaptive. So it's global. The, work, the situation that you're working, everything is very, very fast paced in cybersecurity. As you say, it's just happening and it's happening now and it's happening in front of you. It's very dynamic. It could have real world consequences. There's going on in a virtual world. You, you can't necessarily have all of the information you need to make decisions. And that pressure, it's that sort of environment itself is what causes the pressure and so what do you do about that because we can't change the environment that we work in we can change the way that react to it Um, and for me it's about building resilience and I sort of mean there's there's two ways of looking at that um, from the organizational perspective and from an individual's perspective and I think from an individual perspective it's about knowing you've got social support Mm -hmm. we we talked about that briefly before this And social support to me in a workplace isn't necessarily that, oh, you've got your friends to talk to when you get home and all of that sort of thing. It's actually having the support of your team. 
because as you you know as you say when it's all happening in front of you you don't have that ability to walk away to try and get a different perspective what you do have is a team of people around you and we talk a lot in cybersecurity about diversity of thought and this for me is partly what it's about because everybody sees things from a different perspective and have different experiences so if you've got a team of diverse people and I mean people with different backgrounds and experiences rather than talking about protected characteristics in terms of diversity, then what you've actually got is someone else can say, well, actually, I don't see it like this. This is my view on the situation. Somebody else, a third person, will have yet another perspective on that. So if you've got those multiple perspectives, then that's kind of giving you that sort of not the ability to step away, but it's giving you an ability to step out of your own brain and your own way of seeing things because you've got other people to help you out, to support you. And that, to me, is massively important. The difficulty with that is that building diverse teams is, it's, it's talked about a lot, it's not actually that easy. No. Because as human beings, we like people like us. <laughs> so we've all sat in a meeting where somebody is, you know, there's, if you watch a group of people having meetings, you see it all the time. There'll be somebody that says something and there'll be five people on the other side of the room. You can see them do the eye roll thing. Yeah, yep, I've seen that happen. In and then, yeah, so <laughs> yeah, that happens in meetings. We've seen it like that. That happens in teams. And you can understand why, because actually they don't think in the same way that you do. You don't necessarily appreciate where they're coming from. So you tend to just switch off. I had a colleague once donkeys years ago. I'd ask a question and what I get was three pages of A4 in response of every thought that had ever been had around the topic. Wow. Well, one was a yes or no. <laughs> at least, <laughs> so, they, at least course, they read your time. email, though. I, li- I like that. At least yeah. that, that person read your email. But yeah, I get that. That's a yeah. overload. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so overload. So actually what I want is a yes or a no. And therefore, you get into the habit of then, of every time that person sends you something, you just scan it through looking for the answer. Is that yes or no? So what I might be doing is missing out on a really important piece of information or a really good point of view or perspective I hadn't thought about because I'm naturally attuned to shutting down because this person does not give me the information that I want in the way that I want to receive it. And so that communicating as a team is it's like a marriage, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is like a marriage, and yeah. we're not getting. But I, I read a really interesting book recently because we we were doing this um as, as a board level of how we can communicate better, and we believe one of the reasons that we've done so well is that all of us are really different on the team. We're all very very different. Yeah. all had different backgrounds. Like I obviously had nothing to do in cybersecurity, so came in from a different angle. Um, but the one thing with our business coach I found really interesting was that we don't have to agree. But we have to no, consent. Uh-huh. We have to consent. So whatever's decided, we all have to have buy-in. You can't say yes, yes at the table and then walk out the room and we'll have a witter with the person that you do get on saying, yeah, that's not going to work out. Like you have to buy in. So whatever happens in that meeting, whatever decision gets made, even if it's not maybe what your preferential one is, or but you have to say, yep. Yeah, I, I understand out of why we're deciding this and I, I consent because that's a big piece, isn't it? Because uh, blame comes into it or if something does go wrong, it's very easy to go, well, hell, that's not the thing I, I would have gone with. But that's not working yeah. as a team at all and it, and, and it doesn't build you up. So, mm. like, you know, not, not having side meetings and whatever you do decide and and that's I can see that being really important on a decision from from a cyber perspective. But interestingly, is that in IT? So I've, I'll read you a stat, which makes the team thing even more 
important. 51% of cybersecurity professionals self-identified as burnout and 65% were considering leaving the industry because of unmanaged workplace stress. So we're talking about having a team is so important. Then stats are saying that 65% of us are probably going to leave. So the teams are getting even smaller. We already know there's not enough people coming into the industry. And there's some great stats on the fact that it's not just an IT problem. It's a board problem. It's a whole company culture problem. So when we talk about teams, I think there's two things I'd like to discuss. One on the burnout piece and why you think people are leaving and what we can do. And also, if you are sat listening to this podcast and you'd be like, oh, I'm the only one that looks after cyber or our IT team's only four of us, how would you um, advise for them to kind of build that team around them, even if it's not necessarily someone that sits in, in their direct team? Yeah. Oh, so much to say. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> There's lots to unpack in this topic. There is so much to unpack. Yeah, there is, yeah. Um, I did have a little bit of a, I did a bit of desk based research on burnout recently for okay. something I did a few weeks back. And what I found really interesting or what set off some, a trigger in my brain was I looked at the World Health Organization definition of burnout. Okay. And they say they class it as it's an occupational phenomenon and not a classified medical condition. Okay. So I thought, well, that's interesting because to me, that says it all. It's an occupational phenomenon. So therefore, it's a work thing. Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. you know, work has plays a major part in it. And the other thing that I sort of found out when I was looking into resilience um, and what resilience actually is, is that it's organisations seem to, you know, put things in place for individuals to have mental health support and all of this sort of thing and the focus is very much on the individual but I think we don't necessarily as organisations already look at the part that we play in that as well and what I mean by that is is not being a contributing cause to workplace stress Um, you were talking there about the way that you work and I'm super impressed by that because what you've got there is a culture of psychological safety and that is very unusual in my experience to come across an organization oh, that has that level yeah no it is. Super <laughs> you don't know because you don't know any different do you because I've been here as a startup you just not assume that's bad but yeah I don't know there's just the way it is yeah they're, they're things that I guess each one of us thinks import is important so we brought it yeah. to the table yeah yeah and that's fine and then as you grow it's how do you maintain yeah. that culture and there, that's another conversation. conversation yeah maybe I'll bring you on for that one because that is a new thing of yeah I won't go off tangent but yeah. that is a new thing we were being like oh well it's good for us around this room of what we believe and these are our four core things oh but how do you make the next person or if you open an office because we've just opened one in Scotland we've opened one in Sweden how do you then transcend that over there but also be mindful yeah. of it's a different country or they all yes. have different ways of yes anyway that's a yeah. that's a tangent so there's a whole yeah, other topic, a whole other topic. We do <laughs> yeah we could do another podcast on that yeah. um but for me, psychological safety, if an organisation creates a culture of psychological safety, then people are OK to say it's not OK. I don't feel great. So there's, you know, to be able to talk about it. Um, I've been in organisations where I've been struggling and actually I didn't want to talk about it because of the stigma attached to it. And you end up putting your game face on to go to work and it builds up and actually putting your game face on to go to work makes the mental health issues worse. Yeah. 
because it's that something else I've got to do. I've got to, it's another work on a piece of me as well. So I've now got to put on my work persona and go off and do that. Mm -hmm. And that itself can put additional stress on you. But the other thing that I think about sometimes, and I think this is pretty much neglected from my experience over quite, quite a lot of years of working, is that businesses don't necessarily look at the way that they do things. So we pay attention to culture, but it might be a really the processes and the systems that work within the organisation can actually contribute to people's stress. Yeah. Um, now, to use a fairly mild example, um, getting expenses signed off. If I needed them quickly at one particular organisation I work for, I meant I had to go to this person yeah. and then that person. Yeah. And actually, once the form used to leave me and go through a process, and it was only when I had to take the form round myself to get it done quickly, there were six different people signing <laughs> up on that. And none of them had a clue who I was, what project I was working on, why I needed this money quickly and, and all the rest yeah. of it. That was a stressful thing. So that's just trying to get some expenses signed off. Mm. So you imagine what it's like if you're working in cybersecurity and there are only a couple of you and the processes of the company aren't necessarily set up to help you and support you do your work. You've got a tremendous amount of daily stress being put onto you because the processes don't account for your needs within the system. And there's a whole area of... um, but they might not have been built yet. I, I, I find it very interesting because um, we've we've got overlap work here where we've worked together on, on crisis simulation. Um, but getting buy-in from other people or having empathy or understanding of what IT or cyber does is also very interesting. Obviously, I sit on this camp and I'm like, oh my God, cybersecurity is so important, but not for everybody. Not yet. Not no- normally, it's after something's happened. So to pre-plan or to practice or to, like you said, you know, get resilience is not even on their their thought process because they may not have been hit by it or it's not been a topic of conversation. So I can't imagine if that is your job and you've in the IT or whether you've, you know, very lucky to be the specialist cybersecurity in your company. I'm also learning that there isn't all businesses don't have someone that has the cybersecurity yeah. head um, as their title, but to get buy-in or sign off for projects or budget when maybe the empathy or understanding isn't there in the room must be even more painful yeah and I think it's um older listeners will perhaps think about health and safety Mm -hmm. execs back in the sort of 70s and the 80s it was like oh god why do I have to have a risk assessment to use a ladder you know yeah that's a really good point yeah yeah yeah. yeah, and I think that it's a similar sort of thing and not even just in sort of health and safety and that sort of thing. The thing, I, I learned this um, when I was doing aircraft evacuation trials okay. and people reading the safety card and it's been a perennial problem that people, passengers do not read the safety card or they, they, they might look at it, mm. but they're not taking on board exactly which handle you have to hold with which hand and how you open that overwing exit and what you do with the door when it falls in on top of you. Yeah. Why would you care? Because I'm not going to be in a plane crash. It's not going to happen to me. Do you see what I mean? Well, you so don't want to think just... like that. Otherwise, you wouldn't get on a plane, would you? No. You wouldn't. Well, no, you wouldn't. Some people don't because no. exactly yeah, but that. it's the same. Yeah, if you went, if you went, if you were really sat down, or like before you board the plane, you've got to do you know two hours of training. So if we do get in, a, you know, we know you can all get off safely. A, we'd never got off off, and it just wouldn't happen, would it? And as human beings, no, you no. don't want to think. I don't want to be sat next door to my kids thinking, oh gosh, if this goes down, 
do I know what I'm doing? We just don't do that. We don't. We have no. our brain shuts down. Is, yeah. And it's, why do people smoke? Why do people eat too much? Why do people not exercise enough? Why do we do many, many, many things that we do that we know are bad for us? Yeah. And it's, so again, it's it's the human nature side of things is that, no, I'm not going to pay attention to cybersecurity because what's it got to do with me yeah. as an individual if I'm not working in cyber? And only having been in cybersecurity is what has completely changed me because I now understand it. Mm. But years ago, when I hadn't worked in cybersecurity, it was to me, it was like, well, that's an IT thing, isn't it? What's it got to do with me? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. You know, well, why do I have to change my password again? Mm-hmm. I can't remember 30,000 of You know, so I yeah. can see that side of it. And then once you actually start working in cybersecurity, you understand the importance, you understand the bigger consequences. And I think that to me, that's kind of why it's a good thing to tailor cybersecurity training. Okay. Because you need to train people in the things they need to know. They don't need to know everything. Mm-hmm. It's like um, at the university when I worked there, we had to do mandatory training. Now, as soon as anybody puts the word mandatory <laughs> in front of training, I kind of know that it's not going to be of interest to me. No. And I'm going to do it as quickly as yeah. possible to get past it and then I would instantly forget it because I haven't engaged with it um the one that I used to hate was manual handling I was a university lecturer what did I have to do with manual handling and yet they just deemed that we all had to do it I like it when you get it when you're pregnant yeah I got it when I was pregnant like we've got to do some training for manual handling I was like we've not done any training pre pre pre-pregnancy why am I manually handling anything now it's the last thing I want to do (laughs) (laughs) but it was like you came through and then the list of things you had to tick off for health and safety i was like okay yeah. i've never yeah. and that's how cyber security is being. what's this got to do with me yeah. well actually if people understand what it's got to do with you and i think that a lot of it for me was when it started putting it into a home context so my mm-hmm. parents are quite elderly i hope they're not listening um they're quite elderly and don't know a huge amount about technology and i worry that they're going to get scammed in some sort of way so I've sort of been teaching them about the things to look for so if you see this link are you expecting this well yes it came from my you know my sister Jennifer but Jennifer never sends you any email so why Why do you know what I mean so I've sort of yeah and I think that when I put it into that context I do care about it now because I think that I don't want my parents to be a victim of that So explaining it to them has made it a bit more important to me. Um, so there was that side of it. And then I also, when I started working in cybersecurity, so what's that, probably been about eight years ago, I didn't want to be the person that got done through a phishing scam because I was going to look so stupid. I was going to be so embarrassed that I work in cybersecurity and defence yeah. and I'm the one that's caused a, a problem. So I think it's about making it relevant to people. And it's it's difficult to tailor it to every single individual. So, you know, there's got to be a little bit of give and take. You can't make it appealing to everybody across the board. But I think it's it's trying to consider how you go about that, because what is it important to people? Again, like that, the attentional bias we were talking about. It's yet another thing. Everybody wants a piece of me. I'm really busy. I've got my work to do. I've got kids to look after. I've got holiday to organise. And you want me to do this thing over there called cyber security that I don't see has any relevance to me. So therefore, it's not going to hit the top of my to-do list ever. Yeah. Never mind actually paying attention to it. Yeah. Um, so I think it's it's about finding ways 
of attracting people's attention to it. And that's kind of where gamification came into it. And why I like it, because it's, it's like marketing, isn't it, really? <laughs> I mean, insurance isn't very exciting, but we buy it from certain people because of the way they market it. Maybe yeah. it's, you know, we might even get it because we get a free meerkat, you know, we've all, we all, we yeah. all get buy into things. <laughs> we all have our preferential brand that we go food shop to. Yeah. Most people will go to the same one. They may differ a little bit, but generally we've got our ones and there's a reason why. Mm. why like, that's, I guess, why I loved the marketing side of things and why I find the training piece so exciting and why we're going with the service and things like this, because I honestly believe it's that emotional experience of that training and what you're left with when you walk away because if yeah if you, um, if you don't if you it hasn't gone in or you haven't found it interesting or you haven't been gamified or you get handed some you know really boring piece of white paper or whatever or a tick shit list or please take this guide powerpoint yes my favorite <laughs> my favorite death by yeah. PowerPoint. even we're, we're even bored of teams Let's be honest. We're even bored of teams. Like it was fun at COVID. Let's do a virtual meeting. You now see people turn their cameras off, or they don't get engaged. So we are internally are looking into new platforms that are the you know, elevated level of Zoom and Teams because people are zoning out, and it needs to become mm. a bit more wow factor. You have to add the wow factor for each thing. But I know, and I I do think there is a a, a piece of this that if you can yeah add a sprinkle of wow to it make it engaging and relevant and and to that person you know interesting you said about you had to find a way to understand the reason I um joined quarter cloud was on one of my first weeks we went and met um we were traditionally when we started out we were very strong in the NHS so our, our main client base was the NHS and uh, we were going around and we were having conversations and, uh, you know, I was very naive, didn't know much about much. And they were talking about the, th- the impact of if they had a cyber attack and they would go post, post WannaCry and things like that. I just joined post that of what happened. And they were going, oh, well, we couldn't get medical records and we were having to write a bit of paper. And actually our blood fridges were connected to the network. So we couldn't open up the blood fridges or so the blood that had been donated. That all was wasted. And my brain was just like, oh, my God, like I have never gone to a hospital and thought and I just had my um, daughter and I had never considered a cyber attack, maybe a reason that I couldn't have a blood transfusion yeah. or maybe I'd have an allergic reaction to the C-section well, because I had a C- emergency C-section because they couldn't get my medical records. None of that ever went through my brain, ever. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's, it, it's just shocking when it does, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and I think somebody said to me once that actually, um, we were talking about defence and all the rest of it. And he was saying that you think about it, even, you know, supermarket chains, banks, we're all actually on the front line now. And I thought, well, what yeah. do you mean? And he said, well, yeah. you think about... um politics and you think about certain countries attacking others in cyber security for mm. political reasons but mainly if you're working in a bank or critical national infrastructure you are on the front line because your organization could get hit by a you know a nation state that has has some beef so and you we're, know, we're it, all there's, interconnected there's no boundaries anymore no and yeah. we are all interconnected because i interesting the hospitals always go back to this but they i remember they were walking me around and they were like but we are not just one unit they were like you know the coffee shop 
works here and then you've got the cafe and then you've got all these different you know specialists that come in with help with different things and you've got the ambulance unit then you've got the delivery of laundry like there's so, it's such a huge ecosystem and yeah. I'm just using the NHS as yeah. an example lots of businesses like that we're, we're so interconnected we are yeah. so interconnected and and digital has increased that and COVID has increased that even more and moving to the cloud yeah we are and that is where I feel it isn't an IT yeah. problem anymore because we are no. like you said we're all frontline work- workers yeah. for this and then that that itself is a perfect example of why cyber security is a stressful sector to work in isn't it yes because you don't people. necessarily appreciate the con- yeah and you don't necessarily see the consequences of that um and you you know you think NHS and you wouldn't even think about a cyber security attack like you say no um, I, I had never thought about it until I started working here no never no and what would yeah what would happen if there was a critical national infrastructure thing so i mean i don't have the only form of um heating i have in my house is electricity mm. i have gas so if something happens to yeah you know, the energy sector oh, don't. i'm stuffed you know I, and then, then you can't go and get money from the or cash water the, water's the biggest thing or, that scares me yeah what if something attacked our water system Oh, yeah. no, that we're going down a different tangent. Yes. So but let's not go. Yeah, no, we're, we're, we're adding to the stress. We're meant to be helping with the stress. Okay, so I appreciate yeah. I've nearly taken 45 minutes of your time already. So just to close this and kind of do like a full circle, obviously it is stressful. You believe resilience and practice and having a good unit of your team around you and support is really key. Yeah. But is there anything that we can personally do or anything that you're finding from your research and your oh, your fantastic career so far of things that we can put into place that would hopefully try and lower weather burnout you know people are suffering burnout and also not leaving the industry I guess that's the one piece of why we're focusing on this is that we want people to stay and yeah. join I think it's because I hear people say about cybersecurity is everybody's business mm. um, I think mental health is everybody's business as well we all have a part to play um, there's lots of layers as to why people get burnt out and stressed and, and, and at work. And there are immediate causes and there's underlying causes. But I think it, it falls into three categories, really. There's the ourselves. What can we do to look at ourselves? There's looking at the tasks that we're doing. Is there any way that we could improve those tasks by working, having better systems and processes? And there's a systems engineering thing around psychology where you design systems around people that can really relieve a lot of stress um so it's the individual the task but also the context context so the organization that you're working in what can they do to support you it's not just a one one solution Mm. it's everything that's going on really um and i think probably key to that is psychological safety because at least then people know that they know where to go for support um, and they know they're not going to get looked down on or laughed at or something like that. Um, and like you have first aiders, I think you also have mental health first aiders at work in some organisations now. So I think there's a lot of things. But for me, it's everybody's business. Everybody's got a part to play. My The business that I work for, would, would you know, I'd want them to be looking after me. Um, as a business owner, I'd want to be looking after my staff yeah. but I would also expect people to take some responsibility for themselves mm. you know you've, you've got a responsibility to yourself and to your family to try and do your best to look after yourself but like I say there's lots of different layers it's immediate underlying everybody's, part, everybody's got a part to play oh 
such a fascinating topic. Um, Becca, yes. I really think there will be many more podcasts to come because I think we just <laughs> probably peeled a tiny layer of conversations. But um, thank you so much for joining us. Um, and I look forward to speaking to you very soon. If anyone wants to connect with you or find out more about your business, where would they go? Um, look for Beck McEwen on LinkedIn. It's the easiest way. Perfect. Thank you, Beck. Okay, thanks very much. <laughs>